I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Jalen Brown called it a glorified layup line. Denver Nuggets coach Michael Malone, who was the coach on Team LeBron, said it's the worst basketball that's ever been played. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the All-Star game? Candy and Carl on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Courtney Kernan, Gabe Neitzel with you on this Monday afternoon, as always presented by Progressive Insurance. So, I mean, you hear these reviews, Gabe, about the All-Star game, which took place on Sunday night. Team Giannis winning the second 72nd annual NBA All-Star game over Team LeBron, 184 to 175. And that score was nearly 100 apiece at halftime. Leads you to believe there was no defense played in this. But is there ever defense played in the NBA All-Star game? I'm not so sure why everyone's up in arms about this and acting like we just wasted three hours of our lives watching this unfold on Sunday night. It's been the same for a number of years now, hasn't it? There have been some good changes with the fourth quarter going to the Elam ending where they take the score after three quarters, add 24 to the team that's leading, and that becomes the target score to finish out the game. And the difference, I guess, last night compared to All-Star Games past that have had the Elam ending is Team Giannis was up by so much, it just kind of ended up being more of the same. They were up by so much that trying to end the game, like Dame and Donovan Mitchell, guys were launching half-court shots trying to get a cool moment to end the game because Team Giannis was up by so many over Team LeBron. Whereas in the past, it's been close and a little more competitive, and we've seen the guys put together the effort. So you get the glorified layup line for the first three quarters and then some actual effort in the fourth quarter. That was not the case last night. But again, like that's just kind of what the NBA All-Star Game has been. That's what All-Star Games have turned into over the last 10 to 15 years. I, I don't understand why we're pretending that suddenly in 2023 we're expecting it to be the All-Star Game from 1992. I don't get it because we're not trying to get anybody hurt. This isn't serious basketball. It doesn't count for anything. It's not like you get home court advantage in the playoffs. Correct Correct me if I'm wrong on that. That's not the case for who, whichever team wins Correct. the NBA Finals the way that it used to be in Major League Baseball where there was actually a reason to win the All-Star game between the AM American League and the National League because having home field advantage in the World Series is kind of a big deal, but even they've gone away from that. So, I mean, I I don't know how you can fix it. I truly don't, and I think you have to appreciate it for what it is. Now, on Saturday with the skills competition, there was a lot of flack that was given towards the dunk contest because of the names in it where people just don't know who Mac McClung was. They certainly know who he is now after seeing his repertoire of dunks put on display. And this is the pe- these are the people who did not follow his House of Highlights uh, mixtapes for years 
years and years and years and know who he was coming out of high school in Virginia and going to Georgetown and then finishing his career at Texas Tech. So I guess that was kind of cool to get to be introduced to somebody who could be a new face of the NBA. Like, and I use that term kind of loosely because he's on, remember, he's on a two-way contract <laughs> with the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think he's going to be the X factor in determining if that team goes to the Eastern Conference Finals. But, you know, I just, I'm not sure what the solution is. Like, what do people want to see here in also being able to balance making sure guys don't get hurt or don't, you know, set themselves up for failure going in the second half of the season? Let's say that LeBron's hand injury is more serious than he thinks it is. Said he just sat out the second half because it was precaution, kind of got his um, you know, fingers and, and hand kind of stuck in the rim as he tried to block a shot. The Lakers, every game is important. LeBron is on the record saying the next 21-22 games are the most important of his career. What if he had to miss a game or two because of that hand injury? I mean, wouldn't that be significant? What if you're a Sixers fan and suddenly you don't have Joel Embiid available for the next couple of games as you try to chase down the Bucks or the Celtics proceeding because that foot injury flared up because he played 28 minutes in the All-Star game last night? It just does not make any sense for these guys to be going all out and be going hard when the risk of injury, when we all know this is an exhibition game, this is a game that doesn't matter, it's just a game that, that happens for entertainment. And the NBA, to me, has kind of been upfront about this. It's kind of a celebration of our game. It's why players like Giannis want to be there for the entire weekend, despite not really being able to play. And Giannis started the game, played the first 20 minutes, laid one in right away, grabbed somebody, had a foul called on him, and sat for the rest of the game. But a lot of these players still want to show up because it's a celebration of the game, a celebration of the league, and everybody just kind of knows that the game itself ends up being secondary. It's not going to be great basketball that's being played. Why are we pretending that this is something relevatory and new, that this is the first time this has ever happened in all in any All-Star game that's ever been played, that the effort has been lackluster? I'll give Joel Embiid. I really shouldn't because I don't think he should have been playing as much as he did last night. But I'll give him and Kyrie Irving credit because those guys were at least attempting to make plays on the defensive end last night, especially late. And I'm thankful that no one got hurt. I don't like that Joel Embiid was playing in this game. After hearing what he said last week about his foot injury just not being right, not really having the time to heal, you had a prime opportunity to heal by taking a couple days off at the All-Star break. Giannis is out there for 20 seconds at the start of the game. He sprained his wrist last Thursday against the Chicago Bulls, and he wasn't able to play more than you know a hot second. LeBron injuring his hand, like you just hope that those things are not going to end up snowballing, but it's... You know, I just don't know what more you can do here because this is the product. This is what you get, and it's an honor to be there. I think if you ask Joel Embiid how much he was pushing through just to be able to play uh, while injured, it's because how many more opportunities are you going to have? You never know. You know, even even as, as, as dominant as he's been and an MVP candidate and how well he played last season – to be honored by your colleagues, to be honored by voters who put, you know, fan voters who put these players in the All-Star game, I think that's important because you don't want to lose the spotlight that's put on you and you want to take advantage of that by playing in this game. It's not real basketball, but it does matter to guys being able to, to be out there. And I think what we saw on Saturday before the All-Star game 
with the dunk contest was the revitalization of the dunk contest. And like it or not, Mac McClung, who was a no-name guy before Saturday, now is a name, and we've seen his dunking repertoire on national TV. I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the dunk contest going forward. But Stephen A. Smith, the host of First Take, had to blame this guy, the guy who's done literally everything in the NBA except for the dunk contest for the demise of the dunk contest. LeBron James, who loves doing slam dunk shows on the layup lines, who didn't mind throwing down a few dunks yesterday, has never participated in the slam dunk contest. See, we get caught up. And we think about Jordan and and Dominique and all of these guys, and they just did it so they could show off their dunking skills. They didn't do it because of that. They did it because they knew there was an audience out there clamoring for it, and it helped uplift the game, and they participated in it. LeBron ignored that obligation. He said, no, I'm not doing it. And since he made that decision, we've seen year after year after year the dissipation of stars participating in the slam dunk contest. LeBron James is the one responsible for all of that. He's given us everything else, everything else. But when it comes to all-star slam dunk competition, he never showed up. And it's because of him that others felt it was okay to follow. And that's why the slam dunk contest is not what it used to be. Back in 2010... The All-Star Game was in Dallas that year. There would have been about 80,000 people in attendance, and that was the year that LeBron backed out of the dunk contest. He had never done it when he entered the league at 18 years old. He said, oh, three, I'm, you know, I'm too old. Or, I'm too young at this point. Oh, nine, he was asked about it. He finally commits to it in 2010 and then backs out. And it's the one thing he has not done in the NBA. For somebody who's literally done everything else, Gabe, he doesn't have the same sort of tie to a Michael Jordan, a Vince Carter, a Dominique Wilkins, others who have been in the dunk contest. And a lot of people blame him for that and say that, well, the reason big names don't want to do it is because LeBron never did it. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I feel like everybody's their own person, and you can make a name for yourself a la a Mac McClung. Like, if you're John Morant, why are you not in the dunk contest? Right? Like, because yeah. he, all you ever do is play above the rim, so why aren't you going <laughs> to do it when you can take home a trophy and have an entire Saturday night primetime audience all eyes on you in that moment? Are you afraid of messing up? Are you afraid of not having yeah. enough dunks in your repertoire to, to, to put on display? Like, what is it? I think that's what it comes down to. I think, you know, just kind of the fear of losing to someone like Mac McClung, who, I mean, and again, you, you brought up all the different, you know, YouTube videos that are out there of Mac McClung as he worked his way up through Virginia, then at Georgetown, and, and he had all these different uh, highlight tapes that were out there and, and different dunks that he was practicing literally his entire life since he's been able to dunk. And, like, how embarrassing. That would be damaging to LeBron James's brand if he lost to a no-name guy, right? Like, if LeBron James went up against Nate Robinson back in the day and Nate Robinson beat him, isn't that damaging to LeBron's brand? It's There's just more to lose if you're a LeBron James, if you're a John Morant, to do that. Where And, and Stephen A. points out, oh, you had the, the dunk contest with Dominique and MJ. Yeah, those two were going head-to-head. And it was just a different time in the NBA back in the late 80s, early 90s. The, the NBA was trying to still be a viable league. It wasn't that far removed from NBA Finals games being shown on tape delay because the league wasn't that popular. The, the league has reached a level of popularity where they don't need the stars to show up. Now, 
if LeBron participated in the dunk contest, I'm sure you know TNT would be happy with that because that would drive the rating up, certainly. But I don't think that if you haven't watched basketball before and you hear LeBron James is participating in the dunk contest, suddenly you're going to become a fan of basketball. I, I just don't think that's the level we're at in the NBA. Like maybe it was back when, when MJ and, and Dominique were doing their thing, late 80s, early 90s. And to be fair, he is still dunking the basketball. Even at 38 years old, that's a big, that tomahawk dunk in transition is a still signature move and signature part of his game. No one can be mad at him for not doing it this year. You're 38 years old. You're coming off becoming the NBA's all-time career-leading scorer. He was dealing with a foot injury. Like, there's reasons for him to not do it now. Ten years ago, maybe, at 28 years old, if you want to make that argument, sure. I just don't think that it's the end-all, be-all that he hasn't been in it. Is it a little bit surprising? Yes, of course it is, because it's the one thing that everyone else that is in the GOAT status or has been put into that category, it's the one thing they have that LeBron doesn't. Maybe at some point he'll explain more as to why he (laughs) chose not to do it, but as of right now, and I think uh, going forward, we will probably never see LeBron James in the NBA dunk contest. Kenny and Carl on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Courtney Crone and Gabe Neitzel presented by Progressive Insurance. So All-Star Weekend had the NBA commissioner Adam Silver's State of the Union address, which happens every year where he discusses what's going on in the league. And, of course, load management, the idea that it's a bad thing for the NBA, came up. Adam Silver said the following paraphrasing here that you know there's no medical science no medic like nothing that can really prove data wise that guys are getting hurt more at the end of the season but this is something very clearly that the NBA is trying to mitigate and has been trying to mitigate because they don't want their stars sitting they want their stars to play against each other well Anthony Edwards former first round pick of the Minnesota Timberwolves he is now in his third season had this to say about why he does not like the fact that star players sit many games if there's anything i could change about the league to make it better probably just all the guys sitting resting that's the only thing i probably don't like um just play man if you if you if you if you 80 percent seven you got to play i i don't i don't like all the sitting missing games and stuff like these people these people might have enough money to come to one game you know what i'm saying and it, that might be the game they come to and then you sitting out you know what I'm saying? So I take pride in trying to play every game because I don't know. It might be one fan that has never seen me play, and I'm trying to play. So I don't. that's the only thing I don't like, uh, guys just sitting out. I can appreciate what Anthony Edwards was saying because, you know, there are those fans who may go to one game and then they see their favorite players and playing that day because they're on a minutes restriction or it's load management or they're nursing an injury and don't want to risk, risk it further. I just worry, though, that Anthony Davis, at 23 years old, this stuff is going to come back to bite him in a way when he gets up there in age, you know, assuming he's still playing at a very high level, and people are going to say, hey, remember what you said about load management? Unless he can stick to this idea, and that's great, but you say one thing at 23, is that going to be the same at 28? Is it going to be the same at 31? Like, I just think that he's not going to be really given the credence to change his mind if he wants to. No, no, absolutely not, because you can never change your mind at any point. But look, he's, he's speaking on, to me, the biggest problem in the NBA, because we, we've gone to player empowerment in the NBA, where guys, and, and this was spoken on over the All-Star weekend as well by guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant, about how you know players asking for trades is a good thing. 
But then the onus becomes on the players. If this is a star-driven league, those stars need to be available, to me, on a more consistent basis. And for the reasons that we just heard there from Anthony Edwards, because, yeah, I, I, and that, that resonates with me. When I was growing up, I was that kid in that family. We could go to one NBA game. I grew up in Wisconsin. I could go to one Bucks game a year. And granted, it was probably cheaper to go to Bucks games back then because they were terrible in the 90s, but that's beside the point. We could go to one Bucks game a year. And, you know, I, I, you always hope to see your favorite player, and, and, you know, injuries happen. But when guys are just resting because of load management, like, it's, it's just a tough look for the league. Because there's already, because they play 82 games, all right, well, the regular season really doesn't matter all that much. And it's really more about the playoffs. And you, in order to get TV deals and have the, the deals that they have with TNT and ESPN, they've got to sell these media companies on, hey, our regular season product is worth watching. Meanwhile, players sitting are going, yeah, well, the regular season product isn't really worth watching. We don't think it's all that important. We're sitting games. It's, it's just a tough thing to try to navigate right now for the NBA. It's been an issue that they have been navigating for years now. This is nothing new. I remember when I covered the Golden State Warriors when they were chasing 73-9 and during this 2015-2016 season. This was something that came up because you wanted a fresh Stephen Curry. And when he would go on the road and he was the poster child of the NBA at that point, everybody wanted to see him play. So those games, those very few games where he didn't play because of these load management and minutes restrictions, didn't rub people the right way. But it is something that Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, addressed over the weekend about how the NBA has been working with the Players Association to reduce load management. I don't think we're approaching it necessarily in an adversarial way with the Players Association. We're working collectively together with our doctors, our our data scientists, and trying to see if there's an optimal way for player performance. If it means at some point we conclude that we're better off elongating the schedule so to, to reduce back-to-backs, for example, that's something we're worth, that's worth looking at. If we thought it made sense to reduce the number of games, we would, but there's no data right now that suggests, as I said, based on some prior experiments, or even as we look at the data over the course of the season and when players get injured, you would think that it would be the case that injuries would increase as the season goes on, and that's not necessarily it either. So we know that that's the case where it's it's not like, man, everybody's crashing and burning into the finish line, but this is an issue that could come at the cost of extending the regular season out. Is that a good thing for basketball, like basically having a year-round schedule? Because I sure don't think it is. I mean, I, being in Wisconsin when the Bucks won a championship in July, it didn't feel off. You know, if you have to extend the, the season by another month, Yeah, you're cutting in, I guess, up against baseball and their all-star break and all that sort of thing. But I think that that's something you could potentially look into. But are the players going to be happy with that? So now instead of having most of June, July, August, September off, and and then October you're back at it and and you're getting ready with your training camps and and preseason games, do you want your off time cut into? My guess is the players aren't going to like that either. Yeah. So and when would you way, have off time? I oh mean, yeah. Real, you, realistically, think about it. The final, if you're a team playing in the finals, that ends, you know, that ends right around June, like end of June. Like I was about to say, early July. Then it's free agency. It's month of August, and then by the end of September, you're at training camp. So, and I just yeah. Do you think the owners are going to agree to having less games? So then you can truncate the schedule even? No, no. The, the owners aren't going to agree to less than eighty-two games. They're making too much money off of that. Yeah. Like once you go that far, it's going to be so hard to subtract games for the schedule. I think if you're the NBA, 
So they, it, it's definitely something, Courtney, that they need to figure out to get more people invested in their regular season product. All right. In about 20 minutes, you're going to hear from a former NBA player on how those comments from Anthony Edwards would hit a veteran in the locker room. But coming up next, what are the expectations in Washington with their new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, We go out to that area and tap in with an expert next here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I think that Eric Bieniemy also recognized that maybe it was time for him to move on. I don't hear many of his players come out talking about how great he is. They, they give him cursory like compliments or whatnot, but I don't ever hear anybody say that this team could work because of him. Life has never been fair. Has it been fair to Eric Bieniemy so far trying to get a job as a head coach? No, but hopefully he can be successful in Washington and he'll finally get an opportunity to become a head coach. Washington Commanders named Eric Bieniemy as the team's new offensive coordinator, a title that also includes assistant head coach for the former Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin and Gabe Neitzel with you on this President's Day, as always presented by Progressive Insurance. For more on the Bieniemy hire, let's tap in with John Kime, ESPN Commanders reporter, joining us here on ESPN Radio. And John, I want to start with the title overall and how this whole thing was structured, because some people will look at this and rightfully so called a lateral move and we can get into the specifics there. But how much of it in adding the assistant head coach was something that the really wanted as part of this new title? Well, that's a good question, Courtney. And, and I think part of it is to make it so it isn't a lateral move, obviously, um, he didn't. He was not under contract in Kansas City for next year, so that's that's. So they didn't really have to do that because he wasn't under contract. But I also think it gives. I think it elevates his status, which I I think I'm sure after the last five years he he would want right. And so I think that's part of it. Um, the other part of the the not being lateral is more so along the details of the job, which is it's going to be his show here, and it wasn't in Kansas City. Even though he had the title, of course, and, and was heavily involved in, in everything, it still wasn't completely his show, whereas it is here. So I think that's, for all the title stuff, that's the biggest factor because for him, you know, fair or not, whatever, whatever's gone on, 
for him to get a head coaching job, if he can go here, if he can come here and prove himself because he is the primary guy in offense, it will help him. It should help him quite a bit. John, at what point did they realize this could be a reality where they could bring in the offensive coordinator from the Super Bowl champs and kind of come in and run their offense? I think for a couple of weeks they felt like that. And they, Ron Rivera was very patient in his willingness to wait to fill this position, but it's because, um, you know, I think they felt like there was a, a, a decent chance that this would happen. And, um, you know, he had, Rivera has a very good longstanding relationship with Andy Reid. There are people in this organization who, who know the enemy very well. So I think they had an, at least a sense that, because I think there were a lot of people that wonder, like, why would you go to Washington given the situation, which I think it's a right question to ask. Like, they're, they're up for sale. They don't, you know, Sam Howell is the guy they like, but he's thrown 19 passes. He, he's going into his second year. What is it that's attract? Why would you go there, given what you're trying to accomplish? But I think they knew some of what he liked about this roster, about the offensive roster, starting with their skilled receivers. So I think, um, you know, so I, do, so I do think they felt like there was at least a good chance that this would happen for a few weeks. We're talking with John Keim, ESPN Commanders reporter, joining Courtney Cronin and Gabe Neitzel here on Canty and Carlin. And that lack of security with the overall organization right now, you know, they're 22-27-1 in the first three seasons under Ron Rivera. They're going to have a new owner here in the not-too-distant future. What security does Eric Bieniemy have in taking this job, knowing that the staff may look very different, and frankly, that if a new owner comes in and says, hey, cleaning house top to bottom, that he might be on the way out too? Yeah, that's a good, and that's, again, that's, it's a good question. and It's hard to answer because we don't know who the owner is going to be. But as you know, we all know a new owner comes in, the earliest a new owner could be approved is at the end of March. So at that point, you're not going to change the coaching staff. You're going to, you may change part of this, um, uh, the, you know, the, maybe the business side or whatever, but you're not going to change a coach all that because it's just so late in the game. He did sign a two-year deal, so that gives him some security. And I even brought that up to talk to somebody here, and, you know, Biennemi was telling people here, like, hey, like, I'm just worried about right now. I'm not worried about what's going to happen then. I think part of that stems from a maybe a confident feeling of, you know, I'm going to do this job well, so it's not going to be an issue. Now, we don't know, right? They, I mean, we know how this game works. Coaches are also a lot of times looking at it like, you know, I'm the guy who can come in and do this. We've been around enough coaches to know like they, they typically are going to think like that. There's also a reality to it, and they all know it. The other thing is I don't know – you know, if he really wants, I think the I think the desire to be out on his own, away from the Andy Reid shadow, was a huge factor for him. And so I don't know what other options he had other than going back to Kansas City. So if that's the case, then I think this is definitely a a bit of a gamble for himself. But I think if, you know, if they go out and do well, then he looks really good. And I just, Courtney, I just tweeted out something. Uh, like since 2000, this team has averaged 20 or more points a game only five times. The offense has been dreadful or, or bad or mediocre for many, many years. So if he can come out here and improve it, he'll look really good, and it'll look good on his resume, 
Um, so if something happens to staff here, maybe the offense is done well enough that he gets elevated here or somewhere else. You know, right. but there's a lot. It's so many unknowns with this, though. John, with that being said, um, maybe maybe a key to scoring more than 20 points per game is having a better quarterback than Sam Howell. <laughs> how, how how committed are they to him, or are they going to kick the tires on someone like Derek Carr or potentially become <clears throat> interested in Lamar Jackson should negotiations fall apart in Baltimore? One thing Ron Rivera told me a week or two ago before the Super Bowl was that they didn't want to invest heavy capital to go get somebody. So certainly you can scratch Derek Carr I don't know that, you know, the cost of getting Derek Carr at $35 million, what's it going to prevent you from doing to improve your team? And then is Derek Carr going to be effective in that situation enough to justify that kind of salary over somebody else um, who may be lesser um, right now but can allow you to do more with your roster? So, you, you know, and he's, he didn't want to invest, whether it's money, the draft capital, um, to go out and do that because, first of all, they do like Howell. I know that they liked him before the draft. And I know, because I was told this before the draft, that had had they not traded for Carson Wentz, the quarterback they would have targeted, certainly after the first round, would have been Sam Howell. Now, where they would have picked him, it could have been round two or three. But that's the guy that they – that was the quarterback that they had settled on as being the one that they would like after that first round. So I know they like him. He only has thrown 19 passes. um, So you can't – you know, so what they're going to do is they'll probably bring in a veteran, like a mid-level veteran type, who could compete for the job, but also could be could know how to handle a backup role. So the you know whether it's re-signing a Taylor Heineke, maybe a guy like you know just throwing talent levels out there, a guy like Jacoby Brissett who's handled both roles, somebody like that I could see more so than them going and, and signing a, a big-time veteran or anything like that, investing in that, because, again, that's what Rivera said they don't want to do. They do like him. I mean, they do like Howell, and they, the feeling is that he's a better version, a stronger-armed version of a Taylor Heineke, and they feel like, you know, if you can coax eight wins out of that with Taylor last year, that maybe they can get a couple more with Howell and an improved offensive line and um, more consistent uh, coordinating from the on, on offense. A busy offseason ahead for the Washington Commanders. They are on the clock at 16 in the NFL draft. They'll have a lot of room to go pick up some offensive pieces for new offensive coordinator and assistant head coach Eric Bieniemy to bring into the fold in Washington. John, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's John Kime, ESPN Commanders reporter, joining Courtney Cronin and Gabe Neitzel here on Canny and Carlin. Straight ahead, Kendrick Perkins. How does he feel about Anthony Edwards speaking out against load management? Plenty more on Canny and Carlin, but first, Gabe has this from Indeed. Running your own business requires a lot of running around. From bookkeeping to client meetings, you run it all. By the time you need to hire, you've run out of energy. Luckily, with Indeed Instant Match, you immediately receive a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description the moment you sponsor a job. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Hiring can finally run smoothly with Indeed. To learn more, visit Indeed.com slash credit. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Back to Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Gabe Neitzel, sitting in for the guys on this Monday afternoon. So there were a lot of topics at hand during All-Star Weekend, whether player trade requests, public ones, are good for the NBA, not good for the NBA. And, of course, the topic of load management is always in the forefront. It's, you know, so rampant now in the NBA game where we see players who might not have an injury designation choosing to nurse themselves on the bench for a little bit, whether they're 80%, whether they're 50%, all of that stuff doesn't matter. But it is a topic of conversation among players because they can look around the league, they can look around on their bench and on the opposing bench and see a lot of times guys are not playing and they might not be hurt. So this was something that Anthony Edwards, the Timberwolves guard, was asked about, and this is why he does not like it when star players miss games. If there's anything I could change about the league to make it better, probably just all the guys sitting resting. That's the only thing I probably don't like. Um, just play, man. If you, if you, if you, if you, eighty percent, you got to play. I, I don't, I don't like all the sitting, missing games and stuff. Like these people, these people might have enough money to come to one game. You know what I'm saying? And it, that might be the game they come to, and then you sitting out. You know what I'm saying? So I take pride in trying to play every game because I don't know. It might be one fan that has never seen me play, and I'm trying to play. So. I don't, that's the only thing I don't like, uh, guys just sitting out. Okay, so that's a pretty strong take from Anthony Edwards. And we had Kendrick Perkins, ESPN NBA analyst and new author. His book's coming out tomorrow, the memoir, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Really good stuff. And I'm glad we had that conversation with him about his book. But we also talked to him about how those comments from Anthony Edwards would hit, especially if you're a veteran in the locker room. Here's what he had to say. Oh, they hear it, you know, and they hear it, and they don't have nothing to do but respect it. Because the one thing about Anthony Edwards since he came into the league, he's been available. And his thing is he holds himself accountable, and he holds himself to a high standard, and he actually have been delivering. Like, so guys can't do nothing but respect that. And when you him, you could tell it wasn't nothing that was forced. It was genuine, and he said it, and he was unapologetic about it. Like, and that's what you need. Like, you need these young guys to start speaking out more and being young leaders, and that's okay. Like, you never get too old to hear the truth. Like, I don't care how many years you done spent in the league or how you may feel about him calling a lot of guys out. And they have old saying, a hit dog will holler. So the one that holler, he must be talking to you. He didn't go and, and say, you know, to a reporter behind the scenes and say, oh, I'm going to say it, but don't say my name. No, he stood up there and he said it out of his mouth. And he meant every word of it. And I applaud him for that. 
I love that take from Perk because the NBA has been trying to fix this problem, Courtney, for over a decade. It goes back to when Pop would rest his big three on the Spurs because they were getting up there and then it just kind of crept more and more into the league. And the league tried to, okay, if you sit somebody for load management, national television games, we're we're trying to figure this out. And then teams just got smarter. Okay, if we want to rest for someone for load management, we'll say, oh, he's got a sore ankle or his wrist is bothering him or his knee's bothering him. And they can work around it. The only way for this thing to actually fix itself is what Perk just said there. Young players stepping up and saying, you know what? We need to play more. We need to be up there and playing. And that, to me, is the only way this problem actually gets fixed, is if it comes from the players and the young players going, no, I want to play 80, 81, 82 regular season games and be out there performing each and every night for the fans. I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised by that answer. And I guess my brain went to, you know, veterans for whatever reason, whether, you know, a lot of the centers around LeBron James because he breaks a scoring record. What was it on that Tuesday, two weeks ago, two weeks ago tomorrow. And then he sits out for the next couple games with ankle soreness. But, you know, he's out celebrating himself with showing up to the party for him that with two goats in hand. Of course, there was a celebration at All-Star Weekend, yet he can play in that. And I think it just frustrates people when you see, like, moments that, are the, the, that there's a buildup for and being able to get around, like, playing the regular season games so you can get to those moments. That's not playing the totality of a season. That's cherry-picking when you want to play. But LeBron James is 38 years old. I think the load management argument for someone who is of that caliber versus someone who, you know, might be nursing something, might not have like a full-on, I am injured, I 100% can't go, but somebody else who, you know, may not be LeBron James in terms of 38 years old, but might be in their early 30s and not wanting to, you know, put that stress on your body, that's a different conversation. But I thought it was interesting from a veteran's perspective that, you know, not saying that Perk speaks for all the vets in the NBA, but that's very clearly something that he would stand by if he was still playing. Yeah, it seems like all the all the players from Perk's era and before have spoken out about this too a little bit. And Perk played in the era where a lot of these guys were getting load management as they got older. But again, if if the league actually wants something to happen from this, it has to come from the younger players. Because the, the players that are in there now are kind of set in their ways. Why would they, mm-hmm. you know, put put the risk and, and potentially injure yourself at 30-31? Alright, coming up next, somebody who is one of those vets, Russell Westbrook. His revenge story is underway. We're going to explain all about that next here in Canyon Carlin ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.